This year, 2014, we are calling our turnaround year. Personally, church-wise, and in terms of our small groups in church, which we call cells. And this week, we're on the third week of a series of teachings that all come from the same passage in Hebrews chapter 6. So today, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 6, then a little bit later from another passage. And today, we're going on an incredible journey. Today, I'm going to take you on a fantastic voyage. It's not a long journey, but it's probably the most important voyage you'll ever make in the whole of your life. So stay tuned and see what this voyage is and where it takes us. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. The words will come on the screen. This is a part of the passage we've been reading over the last few weeks. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word today. I wonder if you could join me in this prayer, actually. If you don't mind, put your hand on your heart and just repeat after me. Father, speak to my heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before we embark on our journey, I just want to recap on the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, I spoke to us on the subject of fleeing, running from certain things. And that's how the book of Hebrews describes anyone who is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are in that group of people who are on the run, who are fleeing away from certain things in life and fleeing after God and the things of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we're running away from is not the people of this world, but we are running away from the value systems of this world, the morals of this world or lack of them, the ways of doing things in this world, the, the thought forms, all this world prizes and holds up to be so important and worships. We're running away from all of that into something far, far better. And likewise, uh, well, first of all, I said to you after, last, after that week to check up, am I fleeing? How much running away have I done this last week? And then last week, we looked at this tremendous promise in the passage that uh, we were been studying and the verse in Hebrews is translated from the original language as blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And God has given us the greatest blessing that he can ever give the human race. The ability to multiply the life of God from us into the lives of others. Only God is able to do that normally. But he has chosen to share that blessing with everyone who is in Christ. He has chosen to call us to multiply like that. And that's why I'm wearing the shirt. Now we'll get that on the, on the video camera in a bit. But there's a motif on this shirt. It says, made to multiply, live out your calling. And there's 12 little people on the shirt here. So that's what it's all about. It's a visual representation of the greatest promise and the greatest blessing. We'll be taking orders afterwards. See Dave Shearer. Um, he can sort that out. Um, 
But that is what we were speaking about last week, and we said that God has promised that so powerfully with an oath, it has to happen. God cannot lie. And when he promises to bless and do things of this order, it has to happen. And the fact we're all here today is evidence of the power of his promises when he speaks them. So, this week, we're going to look at a further reference in verse 19. And you see the words on the screen there. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Well, what is the Bible talking about when it's using those verses? What does it mean, a sanctuary, a curtain? And what does it mean for us today? Now, before we get into this, you'll notice something. We are allowed to enter in to that place. And that place is the place of security in our lives. It's where we can anchor our lives in faith, where we can anchor our lives in security, in God, no matter what happens to us in this life. So it's a great place to be, and it's a great place to find out how to get there. So the writer refers to this inner curtain. I want to go to a second passage now where he describes it in more detail. This is Hebrews chapter 9. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle, that's a posh word for a tent. So this is like a giant frame tent. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of that covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. I wish he could have done. I'd have liked to have heard what he had to say. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. Now, to help us understand what this is all about, I want to take you now on a guided tour of this tent. This place was ordered by God to be built by Moses in the desert. And later, when they built a physical building, they copied the same pattern. Instead of using canvas for the walls, they used stone. But it was all built on exactly the same principle. It was built out of canvas in the desert. They could take it down, pack it away, move it to the next campsite, and then set it back up again, very much like a tent today. So today, I want to present to you the tabernacle. Well, And we'll switch over to our video camera. And here you are. Perhaps we get rid of the numbers. I don't know if we can do that, Andy, with some... There we are. I present you with a three-dimensional model of the tabernacle, Lego the movie. (laughs) Now, let me just spend a bit of time now taking you through this. This is what 
The author to the Hebrews, the writer in the Bible, is talking about there. And this is what Moses built in the desert. And I want to take you through this step by step, step because it is a fascinating journey. And everything in this has particular relevance and importance and meaning. Now, the first thing you'll notice here is outside is a wall. I think I had just enough Lego bricks, yes, almost. This wall is made out of white linen, and it stands for righteousness. And just put my model back together there. there we it's so tall, it's above head height, so you can't see over it. You cannot see what's in here unless you enter. And the, exactly the same thing is true of the Christian life. Unless you're prepared to take a step and look inside, you'll never see what it looks like. You'll just see the righteousness that Christians and the Christian life should exhibit, and that's all you'll see. But here, there's a door. Now, outside, I've got two people who can't come in. Does anybody know who these represent? Who were these two? What categories of people are not allowed inside this tent? Non-Jews or Gentiles and women. Women weren't allowed in at this time. Now, the good news is that's all changed. But there we go. So, when you enter, I've got a little guy here coming in. The first thing you see inside the door is this. Now, there are seven pieces of furniture that God established inside this tent. And you'll know if you study the Bible at all, seven is a particularly significant number. It means perfection. This is a perfect process. Now, this is the journey we're going to undertake. So the first thing that happens is when you come in to the tabernacle or this tent, you're confronted with a great bronze altar. And that speaks to us of sacrifice. Now, you'll see there I've got a little priest with a knife in his hand, and just on the altar, I can just hold up for the camera here. That's the power of God hitting his life. <laughs> Put him back up there. Now, the only Lego animal I've got available today is this bird here. So I'm pretending he's, you've got to pretend that's sort of white. It'll be like a dove or a pigeon. He's offering that on the altar. And there on the altar, it's killed and burned. Now, when I was preparing yesterday, I felt God say to me, make the model first, don't do the notes first. Well, I thought, Lord, I want to get the hard job out of the way so I can do the enjoyable job. How many people get paid to play with Lego? I'm one of them. So anybody want to join me in my work? So I felt the Lord speak to me and say, make the model first because you'll understand something. And this is what I understood. As I, yesterday, the last thing I did was I found that little bird in the Lego box. It's a big box, pile full of it. And I put it on there. And at that moment, I understood something. The whole purpose of this is to kill something. That is what this is all about. This is all about a sacrifice. This is all about a laying down of life in order that life can come. And it just struck me afresh. So here is this great bronze altar. Now at the bottom, Andy, and if you can just get down there, you'll notice I've got different color feet. Not me, the altar. And that's to represent something. This altar stood on the earth on feet made out of silver. 
Now, in the Bible, silver stands for redemption. Even today, if your eldest son is born, if, if your eldest child is born as a son, you have to pay, uh, in the Jewish tradition, a price to buy your son out of the priesthood. It's called pidyon haben in Hebrew. And you get silver coins, and you find somebody whose surname is Cohen, and you give that money to a Cohen, because Cohen is the word for priest. And you pay to redeem your son out of the job of being priest of the family. Why you'd want to do that, I don't know. You pay the priest to do the job for you, I guess. But the word, the silver, stands for redemption. As the sacrifice is made on this altar, redemption, buying out of slavery, is possible. So that's the first thing that happens. You present your sacrifice, blood is shed, the whole sacrifice is offered up to God, and you stand on redemption ground. The next thing that happens is you progress to here. And this is what we call in old-fashioned English a laver. Now, in modern English, it's a wash basin. And this basin was made out of the mirrors that the women had in their handbags. Even in those days, women in the time of Moses had handbags. And in their handbags, they had little mirrors and powder compacts and all that other paraphernalia that women have been using for the last 3,000 years or more. And it was beaten into a, a wash bowl that was shining like a mirror. And water was in there. And as you dipped your hands in the water, you could see your face. So after the sacrifice that's made for your redemption, you need washing with this water to make you completely clean. Now in the New Testament, we're told very directly, I think it's in Titus, that God has washed us with the water of his word. That we are washed in Jesus Christ through the Bible, through reading it and through obeying it. If you don't obey it, it doesn't wash you. But when we read God's word and take it on board and obey it, a washing takes place. And so the next thing that happens is we see our face in the bowl. And the Bible also says in James that the Bible is like a mirror. We look at it and we see what we're really like. So that's the second piece of furniture. But then we come to another door. And this door, ordinary Jewish males were not entitled to enter. The women and the Gentiles were left outside. But the men could only go as far as that door. Now, notice something about this outer court here, this first area. The lighting in it is daylight. There's no cover on it. It's the same light that's outside of the wall. This is natural vision. This is natural light. But when we come to this area here, this is covered. So I'll just lift the roof off to show you what's inside. I don't want to lift too much of the roof off. Now, the next thing the writer to the Hebrews talks about is this chamber here. Now, Andy, I'm going to have to get you to get up and come and be on stage here like they do on those pop videos and uh, wave the camera around. Here you go. See if you can shine right in there. I hope there's enough light. See if we can get inside this holy place. Shall I move it around nearer to you? Would that help? Turn that like that. There we go. Now the next chamber is this one here. You walk through this door here, which only a priest can come in. 
He is our priest. He is entitled to enter in to the holy place. And in there, there are three items of furniture. The first one you'll see is this lamp, the menorah, which I've tried to represent the seven branch lamp here in Lego. It's quite clever because it's, um, the, it's an oil lamp, not candles. And inside the oil lamp, the, all the oil always finds its own level to each lamp. That's the technology behind it. Then underneath that lamp, if I just move that to one side, there is a table. Now, you need to come a little bit back. This, oh, actually, I'll move for you there. Uh, oh, we need to come right on top there. Bird's eye view, Andrew. Sorry about this. So in here is a table. And that table was part of this furniture. The lamp was placed on the table. And on the table, bread was baked and placed. And as long as the bread was there, it never went stale. It stayed fresh all the time because the overflow of God's presence was in that place. And it would keep the bread fresh. Now the oil in the lamp speaks to us of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And the table speaks to us of the provision of God in our lives, Christ the living bread. And then the third item of furniture in here is another altar. This would normally stand in front of the curtain, which I've represented here with these white uh, areas in Lego. And this stood in front of the curtain, and it was an altar of incense. On that altar, you would burn incense. And you know, if you've read the Bible anywhere, incense stands for the prayers of the saints. This is intercession in the Spirit. This is the heart of the person crying out to God. Now, remember, only priests are in here. When a person is interceding in the Holy Spirit, they are carrying out a priestly duty on the earth, interceding, pleading with God on behalf of others. That was the principal ministry of the priest, as well as offering the sacrifices. Well, then we come to the inner court. By the way, the illumination in here comes from this light. The menorah is the only illumination that's possible in there. When the cover is on, it is pitch black, and you cannot see a thing unless the light is a light. And the light comes from the, the anointing, the oil, the lamp. Then finally, we come to this inner chamber, and it's separated by this curtain here. I'll take a piece out, so we're not separated. I've represented in Lego here. This is the curtain or the veil that the writer to the Hebrews was talking about. And he's saying that we have to come through that curtain into this place here. Now this is where sin is dealt with in the outer court. This is where anointing and feeding and prayer and worship come in the middle court, the holy place. But here is even more holy. This is the holy of holies, the most holy place. And in this place, there is no light at all. There's no lamp, there's no daylight. But when the glory of God comes into that place, it lights the whole place up. If God doesn't come, you're in pitch blackness. But when God comes, there is no other light like it on earth or in the universe. It is the light that comes from God's own being himself. And it is terrifyingly awesome and yet wonderful all at the same time. And 
The reason that the presence of God would come there within that curtain is this. This is my little Ark of the Covenant. Just turn it around here. You'll see the two Kruvim, the two angels, with their wings outstretched towards each other. And there is a, this is actually two pieces of furniture. The box underneath is one piece of furniture. That's number six. And the lid with the angels is number seven. Now, the reason is this. Without the lid to cover the box, you would go all the way through this process. And when you arrive there at the most holy place, the holiest of all, a box would be in front of you with no lid on. And when you looked in the box... Does anybody remember, either from their own reading of the Bible or from what we read this morning, what's in the box? Tablets. It's, yes. We better explain. That's not medicine. That's the, the stone tablets that Moses, Aaron's rod, anything else? The manna in a jar and Aaron's rod that budded. And here's the thing. The, what happened to the first set of tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain? They were broken. He threw them on the ground. He hadn't even got them and got back to the camp before the people were in great sin. So when you and I go on that journey and we progress, we start you out here, Andrew, if you can sort of swing with me. We start all the way in here through the door. We come through the outer court towards the altar, towards the laver, in through here, through the, the light of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus in our lives and the the prayers and worship of the saints. We come to this place, we can get to all of that. And what we're confronted with is a box filled with broken law to remind us that we're sinners, that we regularly and persistently and habitually break God's law. What hope is there with that? But God has made a seventh piece of furniture, and that's the lid. The lid is exactly the same dimensions as the box. And that's why it's recorded for us in Exodus. The lid completely and totally covers the box. There is no gaps. So that when you come along to the, the, the ark, instead of seeing the broken law that you and I have all broken, what we see is a covering, a mercy seat, guarded by two angels. And that is the place that the glory of God appears to in the tabernacle. And because the lid is there, we can experience the presence of God. There, you don't see the law that we've broken. There is no reminder of that. Instead, there is a lid that says, mercy, you're acceptable. And there are two angels looking face to face into each other, guarding that place. And the Bible says that heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. And this is what they mean by earth being his footstool. It's as if God reaches down from heaven and rests his feet. Sorry, I'm giving you a hard job here. And rests his feet on this lid and says, now you can meet me. Heaven has come down to earth. When you've been through the blood, through the washing, through the anointing and the provision and the intercession and worship of God. You can enter this place and experience the very glory and presence of God. Now, here's a little side for you, but I made this up this morning. This is Blue Peter style. Here's one I made earlier. Have a look at this. This is four layers of Lego. 
white, red, black, and yellow. Now, the, the covering that goes over the top of the tabernacle was actually four layers. On the inside, there was a layer of the most incredibly beautifully woven fabric. The images were of angels, of the, the creatures that are nearest God, a bit like Ezekiel's vision, if you, could, if you know about that. And it was stunningly, awesomely beautiful. But with no light in there, you couldn't see it. But when the glory of God came down, it would light up all the walls of this inner court, this holy of holies, and you would see the most breathtaking beauty. Then outside of that, there was a layer of goat skin. Now in the Bible, the goats are separated from the sheep. The goats stand for the bad side of human nature. And if you want to know what the bad side of human nature is, it goes like this. Every time God speaks, somebody says, but God, but God, but God. And it's the goat that gives the but. All right, never mind. You see, where there's no but, there's no goat. But we all have a goat inside of us. Now, on top of that was a layer of skin dyed red, which represents the blood of Jesus, the blood of sacrifice. And finally, on top of that, there was a layer of something. We don't know what the Hebrew word means. The guesses are badger skin. Some Bibles say pauper skin. Nobody knows. It's just a plain, boring old skin. And this is how it works. The Jewish people have set up their tabernacle, their tent in the desert. And over the top, they've put this covering over the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And riding along the coast come the Hittites. And they look across there and say, Ah, look at those Jews. That must be their cook tent over there. Nothing in there to interest me. And they ride on past. Not knowing that inside that tent is the glory of God himself. Not knowing that inside that tent is silver, and gold, the ark was covered in gold, and all, it was fabulously rich and beautiful. But it just looked boring and every day from the outside. That's how it was meant to be. Now this is how we apply that to the Christian life. Every one of us has a goat, but the place for the goat is under the blood and outside of a pure heart. You may look ordinary from the outside. People may pass you by in the street and think, well, you're just another person. But inside of you, you carry a spectacular, breathtaking beauty in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit and through Christ. Does that make sense? Amen. So that's the basics of the tabernacle there and how that operates. Let me say two more, one more thing for you. For those of you who are theologians and like a bit of extra detail, this is no extra charge today. The New Testament says in Romans chapter 3, all have short, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say that God gave Jesus as a something. Sacrifice. Some Bibles use an old English word saying propitiation. Some Bibles use another word saying expiation. And there are all kinds of theological um, arguments attached to those words. But this is what the Greek word is. If you want to learn a little Greek today, it's hilasterion. And if you pick up your Old Testament and look up the word hilasterion in Greek, 
There is a version in Greek. That mercy seat is the hilasterion. Christ is our mercy seat. That very last piece of furniture is what he's called in the New Testament. He covers all our law breaking. So perfectly, there's not a chink of a crack of a tiny little hole that any of that law breaking can get out and come back and accuse you. You are totally freed from all of your law breaking. You are totally and completely covered today. Isn't that good news? None of our sin counts against us. Not one. Now, here's the deal. In those days, this guy here, the high priest, who I've represented in... Well, it's supposed to be red. It's a strange color. It's come out on the screen there. But anyway, um, he's supposed to be red. And once a year, he's allowed to offer the correct sacrifices and go into this holy place. That's the day in Hebrew, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when all of Israel's sins are remembered by this one man going before the glory of God. So 360, well, they had 350 days in their calendar, so we'll use theirs. 349 days a year, you can't go in. Day 350, Yom Kippur, you can, just one person goes in. Curious thing here, The sins of all the people are sacrificed with one bull. He has to sacrifice seven just for his own. Why would that be? Why does he offer seven for one man when everybody else is all summed up with one bull? Why? Sorry, Andy? Yes, he's coming nearer. The nearer you get, the greater sacrifice you need. And that's all he could manage with all of that just one day a year to enter into that place. Now, I've called this today Three Worlds. And the reason is this. I want to try and apply it to us now. You see, these three areas represent to us three worlds we can live in. We can live in this outer court here. We can live knowing there's a Bible. Could you move him around to the outer court for a second? Yes, we can live knowing there's a Bible, knowing there's a sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And we can live there. But if that's all we do, the light we'll have to see by will be natural light. It will be the same as this guy out here. It'll be no different. We will look at things through the eyes of the human race. We will look at things through human logic. We will look at things through human wisdom and say, that's not possible. That can't be like that. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and the cross, but I don't see that at all. That's world number one. World number two is this middle court. We could live in here with the priests. Now, that is a very busy court. If this only gets somebody in there once a year, in the very uh, center of this, the, the most holy of all, this holy place, which is a good place to be, has lots of priests busying themselves in and out all day long. They're trekking in and out, raking out the ashes on the altar and clearing things up there or doing whatever they need to do there, keeping the light burning, the bread on the table, popping in and out, 
doing those things, offering those incense. That has to be done several times a day, by the way, to offer incense. So they're busy in and out. Do you know it's possible for people today to live a busy religious life? It's possible to get wrapped up in all the paraphernalia of even church. And do you know what? There's a light in there. It's the light of the Holy Spirit, and that's a good light. It's a great place to be, but it's not the final destination. And then there is this third world here, this inner court, which is the place where the true presence of God comes. And when Christ is our mercy seat, when he is truly in that place in our lives where he covers all our broken law and all our law breaking, then we can enter that, into that spectacular place that when the glory and the presence of God comes into our lives, it illuminates a beauty and a wonder and an awesomeness inside of us. No wonder the Apostle Paul could say, for God, who caused light to shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That Christ-like glory comes to our hearts too. And the great news is, it's not just one day a year. It's not even one week a month. It's not even once a week. This is continual, constant abiding in the glory and the presence of God. Every one of us can be a high priest today. And by the way, the Gentiles and the ladies are also invited in. Because you know that when Christ died, it says there was a miracle happened. The curtain that separated the two was torn in half. Quite sovereignly from top to bottom, which shows it's God at the top and us at the bottom. God tore it. No person did. And he's made that way in possible for all those who are outside. It's no longer just the preserve of priests because every one of us is a priest according to the Bible. You are welcome in God's presence. If, if we will come, if we will come through that process that those pieces of furniture represent. I remember listening to one Bible commentator talking about this. He said, I've been studying the book of Hebrews and I've been reading it and I'm living in it right now. And I have to tell you, it is a fantastic place to be. Well, some years ago, I was in a meeting. And it was a great time of praise and worship. And I was just doing what we were doing this morning. I was telling the Lord, I love you. I worship you. You're the most wonderful thing in my life. And we were singing this song, I worship you, my Lord, within the veil. And the voice of God spoke to me inside and said this, Really, Clive, you can't worship me anywhere else. One final thought before we pack this away and conclude. Wherever you are in this process, that's what seems real to you and that's what seems normal to you. If you live in the outer court, you'll look at the other two places and say, what's going on over there then? This is reality. This is normality. And When people come along and say, well, 
Did you know I've had my sins forgiven? Well, all right, maybe. And God healed me today. Nah. God doesn't heal anybody today. No such thing. And if you live in that middle court, then that will seem like reality to you. Religious duties, busyness, things, stuff we have to do. Aren't our lives like that sometimes? Full of stuff we have to do. And that will seem like normality. That will seem like, well, I, I, I go to church every Sunday. I go to the, the midweek meeting in the, in the house. That seems like normality to me. That's what you do. It's all hard work. I just get on with it and hope I can get to the end of the week in one piece. But if we live in that inner court, that's the realm of faith. That's the realm of breakthrough. That's the realm of knowing you're secure in Christ. That's why the writer to the Hebrew says, we have this anchor. It reaches right through the curtain and it anchors our life, clunk, in that most holy place of all, the inner sanctuary. That's where our hope is. That's where our fellowship is. That's where our life is bound up with God's life. That's where we're truly joined with him. And nothing can shake us from that place. That's the place where God wants our lives to be anchored into. Not in any of those other ones. But wherever we are, that's what will seem the most real to us. If we live in that inner place, faith will flow. Your first responsibility, let me pray about that. Let's go turn to God's word and see what it says. My God is big enough. He can answer that. My God can supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ's glory. Let's pray and ask him now. Let's ask him to send his spirit. That's the place that we can be that will seem so real. People that live in that place have got a special term for their lives. They're called fanatics. The other word we heard this morning is zealous or zealots. I want to leave us with this question as a conclusion. Two questions. Which world do I want to live in? The second one is like it. Which world am I living in right now? Amen. Well, let's pray, shall we? I'll leave this up here for a bit afterwards, but parents, when children come back, please can you not let them run off with my Lego or we'll have a, a slightly deficient tabernacle there in some way, the sacrifice we're missing or whatever. Let's pray, shall we? Let's stand together. Can I just quote the words of an old song for us as a prayer? And I want to ask us to follow this prayer. Actually, I'm going to do two prayers. Let's start with the song, first of all. This is how it goes. And you can bow your heads and just say this after me. And mean it as much as you mean it from your heart. Within the veil, I long to come. Into that holy place to look upon your face. 
I see such beauty there. None other can compare. I worship you, my God, within the veil.